You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in downtown Santa Monica. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today on this Earth Day. Um, I hope you're celebrating wisely. And, um, but we're going to talk about date, the important topic of data breaches. And uh, it's a growing problem in this country. And we have a, uh, a good friend and a great lawyer to talk about um, the consequences of data breach and what you need to do. And then we're going to end with some news updates. But um, let's start off with um, Mark Ishman. And Mark is a renowned lawyer working out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, he's been practicing in this field for years, um, primarily in, in the area of Internet law and data security. Um, he is a graduate uh, with an LLM in information technology and privacy law. I didn't even know they had that. Uh, Mark, are you with us? I am. Good morning. Hello, Mark. Yes, can you hear me? Good morning. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. My headset's um, having a little weird problem with it. Um, so uh, the LLM in information technology and privacy law, that, that, that must be relatively recent. Uh, the John Marshall Law School is the only one that offered that in the country, and that was back in 2000. Wow, I didn't, yeah, that's, that's pretty forward. Um, but any event, welcome to the show. And uh, Mark, I, I know I've worked. A, um, I've known Mark just through his reputation in the industry and through industry events. And uh, we've tried a few times, but we never had the opportunity to work together. So this is kind of our first collaboration. So um, I'm thrilled to have you on. Um, why don't you tell us a little, um, your, your practice since you're in Raleigh, and um, you know, tell us a little about your practice first. Sure. We've been helping uh, clients from small, medium-sized companies to individuals and protecting uh, their assets, and that could be their online reputation, uh, their intellectual property, patents, trademarks, and copyrights, um, as well as their business. In, in doing online transaction and litigation work uh, for these companies. And a lot of them end up 
with high net worth, and we also protect their assets um, through various uh, estate planning measures. But the core of our practice has always been on internet law and data security. And as you know, uh, in today's environment, um, there are hundreds of thousands of breaches each day. And it's only a matter of time as to when your day will be up if you are a company making money. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when because it's so frequent and you you are a target as soon as you start making money and have a presence on the internet. Well, and it's not just that. You're not just a target, um, but you know the consequences are huge. I mean, uh, I think it's like something in the order of 40 to 60% of small businesses that have data breaches um, you know, don't survive more than six months. And if they do, they're doing the 10-year Federal Trade Commission audit and a six-figure fine. Right. Typically. Although you know, the, the, I'm, I've talked to the FTC and, the, and they're you know famous for saying, well, the fact that you have a data breach does not necessarily mean that you'll get an investigation. And flip side, the fact that you haven't had a data breach does not mean you, you won't get an investigation. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, they tend to draw the FTC's attention, unfortunately. Now, um, you've, you've presented a lot on the issue of data breaches. And, um, and so when, what's the first thing you tell people about data breaches in terms of what they need to know? We, we, we need to put it down at its baseline. First, you need to understand both state and federal laws and how they apply to a data security breach and then get into uh, both the litigation on the private sector as well as the Federal Trade Commission and some best practices in how to deal with this. And so when you first start off here, you know, there's no getting into the state and federal law comparison. There's no single federal or state law that governs security of all types of personal information. And you're going to be looking at both federal and state law depending on on three factors, the entity or the sector that that collected information is from, the type of that information, and the purpose for which that information was collected. And so um, once you you identify that, then obviously you know, okay, we have to comply with either state or federal law. And how do they differ? What's the the significance of whether you're under state or federal law? Um, well, well, state is limited for the most part within the state borders, and it can't go beyond that. And federal law is an umbrella over all the states. And the best way to comply with it is trying to find the one state or the, the couple of states that have the most uh, uh, intensive requirements to comply with. Because if you comply with that state, then most likely you're complying with all the other states right? as well as federal law. And that's the, that's been the challenge, I think, what people are complaining about in this space is that, um, you know, oddly enough, this is one of the few areas where I think there's some consensus that something needs to be done just because of what, there's something like 47 different state um, reporting requirements, and I think California just amended theirs recently. And, you know, the There's federal pen, you know, there's just been new federal legislation introduced, so uh, that's coming along the lines as well. But it never seems to get passed. I think it gets tied down with other issues um, in terms of cybersecurity and privacy that always seem to bog everything down. But um, excuse me. And so, you know, for a business perspective, that that's that's a troubling thing. You know, complying 
with you know, 48 states and or 47. And, and it's not just tied to where the breach occurs, but it's where the resident, the, the identity is, correct? That's true. Um, and that's controlled by state law. So knowing which states requires that they be notified or uh, what other measures that, that apply to that particular situation. You might have a few progressive states that require biometric data, like North Carolina and then, as you mentioned, the healthcare records out in California. Right. Um, it is a it, it's a big issue to tackle, and you need to make sure you have a right the right team to handle this. And, and the other, go ahead. I'm sorry. You really are at a three prong approach. You're going to be looking at our, what are our policies and procedures? Are they accurate? And then you need a plan. If we have a breach, what's our plan? What's our action plan? And does that action plan make sure that we are compliant with our state laws and federal laws that apply to the situation in our industry? And last, you need to prepare to deal with the FTC. And so those are the three prongs you really need to look at when you address data security on the corporate level. And um, the other thing you need to do is you need to start thinking about this before it actually occurs. Um, you know, clearly... Um, just like any good crisis PR uh, measures, um, both of those are something that's are better addressed when you have the opportunity to get through, rather than having to do it while people are more or less firing shots at you. Exactly right. That's that proactive measure. And if you do not implement that proactive plan and react to data security, let's say within forty eight hours or forty five days, um, you'll be in violation of some state laws. And so um, when, when clients come to you, how often is it before and how often is it after? Uh, some, most of the time it's after the fact. Uh, and what we're trying to push is being the proactive side of things and being proactive and doing a data security audit and making sure that what you publicly state out there is in fact what you're doing. Otherwise, that's a deceptive practice. And you need to make sure you're collecting and storing the sensitive personal information uh, in a fair manner. If, other, if not, then that's an unfair practice to the consumer. And those are the two broad overviews that any audit should focus in on in your plan in reacting to a data security breach. Um, some of these state laws that are kind of interesting is notification typically – is required in Florida, Ohio, and Wisconsin require it within 45 days. Uh, all except Hawaii, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Texas, and Wisconsin require notification to affected state residents. So and there was, and there was something I think in California, the Attorney General actually went after. I'm trying to remember who who the entity was, but for not reporting fast enough. Correct. Uh, it was a Citibank, I believe. I could be wrong, but um, you know. So that that's you know, not just as you say. You have certain timetables, and even the thing was about California's is California's. I believe was not a specific date, but it's actually just timely reporting. And um, so, so you, if you can violate something as vague as timely reporting, then that's a problem. And that's going to deal with the size of the breach. But typically, the size of the breach is, is typically millions of data files of, of individuals. And if you're dealing with that, then you, 
you, you do need to act quickly and you might be given a little bit of time if it's that size. But certainly um, the, the states that are requiring 45 day reporting, th th that's a baseline as to what's a reasonable and reacting to a data security breach. And, and so and, and when you counsel clients on this, what is the, the toughest issue for them to kind of get their arms around? That third day is coming. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you know, that, okay, like you know, Mark, I appreciate it. Let's, you know, thanks for the info. You know, I'll keep you in mind. My, your card's right here. Um, you, you know, but this ain't, this ain't going to happen to me. That happens to other people. That's that really the the tone. But well, we're we're trying to work with people on the audit side of things because when your day comes and you're hacked, well, then it's pretty clear what needs to be done. But being on the proactive side of things. Are you taking the right right steps to to make sure that you're you are complying with industry standards in storing data and collecting data? And depending on what industry you are, that's constantly evolving, and the, the standards vary. Um, there's no one set of uh, uh, books and records that give you the the standard, the industry standard. So you really need to make sure you're above and beyond that to protect yourself and your legal entity. And um, just so you know, we. Um, as usual, we have our background on our guests and this topic on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com, and that includes actually a presentation by Mark on this topic. So we, we encourage you to check that out. Now, um, so you encourage them to be proactive. You know, audits obviously are helpful. What do you? Um, how do you explain? Uh, and how how do you get clients to agree to do audits? Typically, it's affected by someone in their industry, and they see the exposure that they've been exposed to and have to go through at that point in time. Also, you're dealing with some federal law that requires that puts personal liability on directors and shareholders, on directors. So, so that pushes them to make sure that what they're doing is is best practices. Otherwise, they could be facing some personal liability. So it definitely will get their attention. Now, you talked a little about federal law. Why don't you explain kind of the, the Fed? We talked about state law earlier. Let's talk about the federal framework in terms of um, what, what, what governs here in terms of responding to a data breach. There's no one set law. Um, there's many laws that come into play. Uh, there's a laundry list from the Privacy Act, Fair Information, Security Information, um, going all the way down to HIPAA. Um, the privacy rule, security rule, high tech, uh, fair uh, credit reporting, uh, and the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, that brings the personal liability to the directors. Now, um, and so it, it's this broad, and then those are often, for example, Graham-Leach-Bliley and the HIPAA, those are industry-specific and um, you know, I know it's a great sensitivity to HIPAA in the metal com community. Um, how, and if you have you dealt with people in those industries, and how well or how versed have they been in, in some of these requirements? Well, HIPAA absolutely uh, has caught the attention of the industry, and everyone uh, that we've dealt with, uh, it's on their rider. On their radar, and they're doing everything that they can to make sure that they're HIPAA compliant at all times, and they have been. And it's a it's an evolving process. And the more data you, you gather from more individuals, you know the the 
the, the bigger the audit, the bigger the attention that you must put towards and making sure you're always HIPAA compliant. And, um, but, you know, Gremlies Bliley, obviously, one thing I thought was interesting about Gremlies Bliley was they actually kind of addressed privacy policies and suggested a template that I thought was going to become the norm and uh, never, never quite did. I mean, you know, obviously some elements of it were used, but I actually, you know, thought that the next step, if you had these banking and, you know, the FTC and other regulators coming and developing a template for privacy disclosures, that the FTC would then take the next step and say, okay, everyone should do this. Well, that's tough to make a, a, a cookie sheet that fits all. And what you really need to look at are the Federal Trade Commission decisions. And they kind of pin, pinpoint what are deceptive policies. Right. And, and if you look through their decisions, you're going to have an outline of what your policy should look like. And, and you know, no, go ahead. No, those are the important things are making sure that you're getting those points and they're being disclosed clearly. But the most important thing is what you're saying is truthful. Yes. Truthful and, in fact, um, you are doing what you say you are doing. Right. That's what I meant by truthful. And so let me ask you this. I mean, how many times have you heard, well, can I just copy someone else's privacy policy? Uh, depending on how sophisticated the, the, the customer or client is. Um, the more sophisticated you are, the you know you can't do that. And right, but I, I get that a lot. I mean, people ask me, well, can I just copy someone else's policy? And, I, and you know, you know me a little bit, so you know you won't be surprised by this, but, you know, I somewhat give uh, somewhat of a crass remark by saying, well, would you wear, would you wear their underwear too? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, just to, so, you know, just to hammer home this, you know, the, you're both different. And, um, you know, are you willing to own up to everything they, they say they're going to do? And, uh, and so I think that's the risk that people just think, oh, the privacy policy is just something you throw up uh, on the website and don't even think about it. You're, you're absolutely right. And that will lead to all kinds of problems uh, on, a, on an individual or an, in a big exposed way by state attorney generals and federal trade commission actions. And they then, employ that sort of tactic, that sort of, uh, Lack of due diligence on your end, right? And so, um, which which kind of I guess you know is the, the next topic really. And we talked about the state law. We talked about the federal law. Is you know as as in most things in life, um, if when things go wrong, there's litigation. That's right. You're seeing all kinds of litigation out there on the data security breach. Um, Sony Gaming Networks um, that was a big lawsuit. Um, that attracted the attention. You're seeing all kinds of legal theories on these lawsuits, on the on the civil side, the breach of contract, negligence. As you mentioned earlier today, the state data breach notification laws, and then right. these federal claims. What's the um, the breach of contract? That there's, that there's some kind of implied contract between me, the consumer, and you know you, Mister Website, that you're going to use adequate care for my data. Absolutely. You were just mentioning about why can't I use your underwear? Right. No, well, that, 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 that <laughs> privacy policy that you just copied and you told your users, this is how we're going to handle it. Well, that's exactly what we mean by breach of contract because you didn't realize what sort of agreement you've just made with your uh, customers. I'm kind of worried about that sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, yeah, I understand. That, you know, basically, there's this reliance that you know your website are are going to um, because you're different. Um, you're gonna you're gonna do everything right. Correct. With so, with these. Go ahead. No, with, with the lawsuits, um, when they first came out, you saw all kinds of class action lawsuits. Everybody was filing them whenever you had a data security breach. And in 2013, the United States Supreme Court came down with a decision, and that's changed the universe of data security litigation. Um, the case is Clapper, and the Supreme Court is requiring actual damages. We had all these class action lawsuits because you had, you know, 100 million credit cards compromised or the, these, data, these data files uh, were compromised. But, and the fear that, hey, one day the bad guys will have my data and use it and I'll have a loss. And Clapper said, no, you, you don't have standing to sue unless you have actual damages. Which is well, somewhat limiting. It is. It has limited and has limited a lot of these lawsuits um, that these class action plaintiffs are bringing. All right. Well, we, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about Clapper and more after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Biz Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back with Mark Eastman, and we're talking about um, data breaches and uh, and underwear, apparently. And <laughs> we were just talking about the Supreme Court decision in Clapper and the limitation on um, the only ability to bring claims if you have actual damages. But, you know... A consumer, it doesn't just have damage. You know, 
have financial losses, but they have to spend money to now monitor their, their credit situation as a result. I mean, is, is that actionable? Well, the Crapper um, decision actually addressed that. And they acknowledge that the consumer will have time and money at, you know, put in to, to monitor their financial information. But the, the court still found that they lack standing because it's too speculative in the, of what the future event may bring uh, based on a hypothetical future criminal act. Wow. So you need actual injuries, not just an increased risk of injury. And that was the big thing. You need actual injuries, not, not just an increase in the risk. Anyway, it sounds to me like this, <laughs> the Supreme Court never had a data breach. You know, they'd never been notified that they they were part of a data breach. <laughs> yeah, that, that day I'm sure is coming soon. Uh, True. With how these guys are coming uh, and and finding new targets to attack. Um, yeah, we, uh, we often talk about there was a uh, a high end a woman's shoe shoe line shoe store that had a data breach, and they just had the misfortune of being um, one of their customers um, was the FTC sharewoman <laughs> at the time. And so it, it very quickly led to an investigation because of it. But um, You so- bring up an interesting point, knowing your vendors, because your vendors could expose you and make you a part of a data security breach because you're only as strong as your weakest hole in your network security. And if you, are, if you have business partners – and vendors that are working with you, you need to make sure that not only you, your infrastructure is in line with what you're saying you're doing, but also your business partners and associates who have access and are, are a part of your infrastructure. So um, right now there's a, there's this discussion about, when more than a discussion, there's actually you know arguments going on in court about the FTC's authority to regulate in this space and to impose sanctions um, for failing to have security. And we've talked a little bit about on the show in the past about um, you know, the case that's now pending, I believe, in the Third Circuit, the uh, Wyndham Hotels case. Yes, that, that case is a, is a big case for the FTC. Uh, when that was filed, Wyndham Hotels said, hey, we are the franchisor. And the franchisee are individually run, you know, run and operated. So do not bring it against the franchisor. And by the way, FTC, you have no standing to bring this suit. Well, the district court, federal district court in Colorado said, oh, you are incorrect. The FTC has all the power and authority under the Federal Trade Commission Act. And the Federal Trade Commission Act has very broad authority to investigate unfair and deceptive acts and practices in or affecting commerce. So a deceptive act would be failing to adhere to your stated policies or procedures. And unfairness is failing to provide a secure uh, storage facility of sensitive data. And when that decision came out later that year, uh, Congress uh, at a hearing said, you know what? Wyndham Hotel, the federal district court out there, got it absolutely correct. The FTC has all the power and authority to go and be the enforcer on data security breaches. So you see that Wyndham decision along with the Clapper decision, and you're seeing now the FTC as the police 
the, the policing agency and any new class actions that come out are you're going to see very narrowly tailored and particularly drafted to plead actual damages. And um, because this decision, I mean, it, it, it was very because if you were, if the decision went the other way, and and still might because they are appealing to the Third Circuit. Um, if the decision goes the other way, there there actually is no federal enforcement body on cyber on data security. Correct, and well, de facto, right now it's a Federal Trade Commission, unless right. someone tells them otherwise. Right, and, and under the Federal Trade Commission Act, that is exactly what they're doing. Um, so I, I'd be with the congressional uh, support of that initial decision. I, I'd be I'd be surprised if that's changed. I'll put my my peg on that side. On the, yeah, I mean, um, I heard the arguments. Um, you know, of course, you can't tell anything from the arguments, but that you know, the arguments of the Third Circuit suggest that you know, the the court was struggling with the issue. I don't know if you you read any of those reports, but um, you know, I I think that you know, it's not. I'm not. You know, you can never judge by just the arguments, but it's unclear where where the, that will end up. But hopefully. You know, I agree. I think um, you know having the presence of the FTC is important, unless until Congress can step in. Now, what would the framework? Uh, uh, well, be for, as a go ahead. as as a practitioner representing clients with data security breach issues or the prevention thereof, it makes more sense to have one regulatory agency with right. all the power, because then they they'll set rules and they'll set out guidelines as to what they're looking for. Because, in fact, that is what the FTC has already done in their decisions. When you look through their decisions, they tell you what's important to them and what's not. Now, more importantly, what's important to them, and by going to, with one authoritative body to comply with, I think you're going to have a much more self-regulated, which is what we are, um, community in providing secure data security for the data we collect online. So... You have this potential exposure. For example, um, Target just settled a $10 million consumer claim and a $19 million claim with MasterCard arising out of their data breach. So there's huge exposure. That, um, go ahead. That, tar- that Target case is a perfect example of Clapper because they had a $10 million settlement reached in that case. But they provided a means for which each affected customer can claim $10,000 and they had to actually submit documentation of actual damages. So is the 19, excuse me, the $10 million they're contributing to that fund. If, if people don't submit documentation, does that, they recoup that that goes back to target? There's a lower amount. If you submit something that you don't meet their standard of what, of, of actual losses to their satisfaction. Um, so eventually, you'll probably be depleted. Correct, given the size of it. But, um, but, but that tells you that since Clapper, actual damages must be documented. As, right. You know, and if not, then you lack standing, and you won't be in line for a class action settlement. Well, so um, I have a business, and I call you, and I say, you know, um, wow, this, you know. 
$29 million. That's, that's a lot to shell out. And you're, you're telling me I will be, I will be, have this happen to me sometime probably in the next two, three years. Um, is there any way I can insure against this? Yes. In today's world, there are all many, all the major uh, insurance companies are providing cyber liability insurance. Now, um, now, I've talked to insurers. We've actually had some on the show. And in, in the past, you know, they said, well, the problems in this space is insurance is based on one thing, and that's histories. So you use histories, they use that data to come up with an assessment of risk and then price accordingly. And they said early on, there was no history with the with the internet. So everything was extremely expensive. Now we have, we're starting to get histories. And so how has the pricing of the product changed and, and, and what, what exactly does it cover? Depending on what industry you're in, your prices will dramatically vary. So if you're in a online retailer, uh, that is going to be a highly priced policy. And, and some insurers may not insure you because you're in a high-risk industry, while right. others um, will, um, depending on, again, what your industry is. And the history, as you mentioned, will dictate that price of that policy. And um, go ahead. So I, I, that dictates the price. And um, but what what is it covering? And and. And what what are the limitations? You know, for example, does do, do I only get coverage if I'm found to have had a, you know some kind of proactive plan, or you know can um, you know a company that um, is kind of a late to the game really get coverage? Well, the proactive plan will help you with an FTC enforcement action that you're being diligent, uh, addressing your network security, and and being proactive about it. Right now, I am not aware of any plan that will will have a lower premium um, based on uh, audit. Are you aware of any? Um, I'm not aware. I mean, I haven't it's been a while since I've really delved into this, but um, you would think that would be, you know, for example, if I'm if if I'm the carriers, I want you to do that, and I would incentivize that. Yes. And to my knowledge, none of these carriers have actually um, cut a check for anyone for audit practices. But you know what? I think that day is coming. Generally speaking, the cyber liability insurance uh, platform is new. It's something that's just come around the last um, three to four years, five years. And so it, it's unlike traditional um, fire and water policies and general liability this is something that I think will evolve, and as you're seeing the cost to responding to a data security without an audit and the cost of responding to a data security breach where the party actually did conduct an audit, respond quickly and efficiently, and minimize their exposure, they'll see the benefit, and, and that will be something I look forward to in, in seeing um, that sort of policy and those sort of audit procedures being covered on a policy like that. And one thing that it's unclear, and it'd be interesting to see if there's any data. We keep hearing data about the amount of data breaches that are happening, and that's ongoing. Um, and and the, obviously the, the chart just keeps going up. 
And we hear about, okay, there's now an increased availability of cyber insurance. What would be interesting to see is the amount of cyber um, insurance payouts for data breaches. Because we don't know if any of the ones we're seeing in the newspaper are are actually covered. Because I think once those payouts start happening... I think you might see more actions like what you suggested, you know, with the insurance companies saying or requiring some kind of audit on, on a certain, you know, basis, you know, in order to or incentivizing it at least in order to minimize their own exposure. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think you're going to see these uh, distinctions also in the Federal Trade Commission uh, complaints and, and final decisions in which they were. Had a you know, the last thing you want is a fellow trade commission inside your business for ten years and a six seven figure fine. But they're such they're nice doing. people, <laughs> <laughs> and they have clean underwear. <laughs> but anyway, no. But the last thing you do want is that. But they will um, provide. They, they will give you a a benefit and for being proactive and responding quickly and efficiently. When you don't do those things and you don't comply with your policies and your network is not as secure as you state it is, then they'll come down on you very, very hard. So you're, you're going to see at that end and you're going to see uh, you know, the private class action settlements like you just right. target. I think when you start comparing the big high profile cases that where one party has done these proactive measures and let it be known – as part of the discovery in the, the matter, you're going to see that, hey, it, it may make sense. We should give a discount. We should cover it, especially in there in a high-risk industry where they have lots of uh, incidences of collecting data. The more times you're collecting data, the more opportunities there are to some sort of, of network security breach. And, um, you know, it seems to me that um, there is no – I think – to have a market capability to respond, um, there there is no um, market incentive you know, vis-a-vis the consumer. I don't think you know Joe consumer goes to Target or goes to um, Best Buy or wherever um, based on their data security. I, you know, I think there's some short-term drop-off after a breach, but I don't see that really being something that consumers calculate in their decision-making. Um, but I do see a market-based incentive where um, there could be, um, you know, insurance discounts or, you know, there are fines for failing to respond adequately. You know, I think that's where you create a market incentive for cybersecurity. I go with you there. I also go with you a, a little different on the healthcare side of things. You're really? seeing exposures on the healthcare side of things. If, if you, would you go to a, faci- uh, a physician if, if they've had network security breaches? I mean, with your how sense do you, of healthcare. How, how do you know? How do you know? And that's the thing. When I go, when I go, I'm going to a new eye doctor next Monday, um, and I know nothing about their history. I mean, I guess I could look it up on Yelp to see if they had a data breach, but I haven't. Um, do you, do you do that before you go to a doctor? <laughs> I don't. Should we? <laughs> Man, that's a good question. I mean, seriously, you raise a good point. Should we? And actually, you, you know, this is supposedly, you know, um, this is supposed to be the year of the medical data breach. You know, then when the, uh, Anthem breach happened, they said that, you know, right now this is just a, that is a huge target because it's so rich for identity thieves. 
because of all the information that's that's there. It's scary. It is scary, and I, I think it'd be as we progress and we become more knowledgeable. We know what we should be doing as a company, and we have a network security breach. That black eye may be harder to cure as, as we go on if you're not doing the right thing. Okay, um, we're going to take a, a short break in a second, but very, very quickly, though, if I'm, I mean, if Anthem or Target has a data breach, that's huge news. But, you know, if local Joe um, dentist does it, who hears about it? And so how can that have an impact? Um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back and, um, with Mark and um, well, some news updates, and um, we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. Frogontop.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. We're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. We're talking to Mark Ishman about um, data breaches, and he's quite an authority on it. Um, again, reminds you to check out our blog post at CyberLawRadio.wordpress.com. Um, there's some details on Mark and how you can find them, and um, well as the presentation on this topic. And um, so, Mark, um, I really enjoyed our discussion. If people want to learn more about you or your practice, or um, if you have anything that's coming up that you want to alert people to, um, why, don't you, why don't you tell us about that? Sure. Please head over to ishmanlaw.com, I S H M A N L A W.com. You'll find all the information you need to know about our firm and myself. Also, we offer a free initial 15-minute telephone consultations on data security breaches. So uh, if you are one who has an issue on that end, either as a business or individual, 919-468-3266, 919-468-3266. 
not 919 deep do this <laughs> 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 easy they need like they need like a good, good acronym for an, uh, a data breach type of um you know television commercial but i want to thank you very much it's it's always a pleasure and um and so I do encourage people, you know, he's a great lawyer and a, a good friend. So I'm um, glad to have you on and um, hope you'll consider coming back some sometime. But um, this is a very important issue. And I think you've, you've done a great job explaining it to everyone. Thank you so much. There's so much to cover. And again, this is just a broad overview. And hopefully you saw the issues that are involved in, in this ongoing matter. Thanks again, Mark. Um, so um, we're going to do just some Quick updates. Um, you know, there's some some of the news that's going on. Um, just so you know, there's a, a la- the latest edition of Cyber Report, the um, newsletter for the Internet Law Center, uh, went out on, on Monday, and it's available on our website. You know, the kind of the, the 12 things that you need to know right now that's going on, and um, so uh, we have that. Um, and encourage uh, you to check that out on our blog, which is ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. Um, definitely check that out. It has a lot of information um, that be relevant to you. Um, also, want to let you know that um, Twitter has made some um, changes to uh, its area um, in terms of how it deals with abuse and abusers. Um, we have a, a link to an article there. And uh, we, we've had a lot of talk about um, you know, some of the um, gender issues going on right now in, in, in um, Silicon Valley. And one of the, one of the uh, prime abusers and um, you know, poster childs of what's wrong in Silicon Valley uh, has been a gentleman named um, um, Gurbash Chahal, who was at Radium One um, and actually got forced out there after um, a, he was charged with assaulting his girlfriend and a security video was released that showed him hitting her over a hundred times about in a, in a 20 minute period, I believe something like that. Any event, um, he uh, was forced out and he started a new company called gravity Four. and, um, surprise, surprise. There's a, a lawsuit there alleging um, gender discrimination and abuse, um, there as well. So, um, karma seems to have gone found him once again, um, but that's uh, definitely just continuing, um, you know, the kind of focus of what's, you know, what seems to be a, a serious problem in Silicon Valley, despite the outcome of the Ellen Powell verdict. Um, secondly, I want to give a, a shout out. There's an interesting article today in the, the Hill, um, which is a, a newspaper for on Capitol Hill, covers, of, um, you know, all things going on in Capitol Hill. And it names the, um, the number one tech lobbyist in America today. And uh, I'm sure you're trying to guess who it might be or who they're affiliated with. And I'll tell you what, they're not affiliated with Google, Microsoft, or Facebook, Um, but HBO. And it's John Oliver. And uh, he hit another home run last week with his uh, um, segment on copyright, on patent trolls. And it was just a brilliant thing. As you may recall, his segment on the net neutrality and criticizing or having reservations about whether uh, FCC chairman Wheeler um, would go full throttle on that issue um, led to um, a huge um, response that actually crashed the FCC's email server. So he's really taking on some, you know, interesting issues that are definitely germane to tech. And so he's, he's developed quite a reputation 
And um, so um, and hats off to uh, John Oliver once again, um, hitting, hitting the long ball on that issue. Um, a couple other things we want to highlight. I will be flying to San Francisco today, and um, we'll be arguing in the Court of Appeal um, a case on a spam case, and um, to what extent the issue we, we won a um, we were able to dismiss the case, um, and now it's on appeal, and whether or not it was properly dismissed, and whether or not um, when you, cases get dismissed, the judge has a, an option to give the other party um, leave to amend um, to take another whack at it, but. Here, the other party had not really shown any ability to really state a claim that was cognizable under the California Spam Act. So um, we're going to be arguing uh, not just that issue about whether or not it was proper to, one, dismiss it and not grant leave, but we've also put on the table the issue of whether or not the California Spam Act is preempted. And um, so far, no case, California case has, has gone that far. Um, so it will be an interesting argument tomorrow in um, the Court of Appeal in San Francisco, um, heading up there for that. And we'll definitely keep you updated on how that goes. Um, yeah, I mentioned at the top of the show today is Earth Day. Tomorrow is a day of great significance. It is the 100th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. And um, so we now have had a century of genocide. And, you know, I mentioned uh, in a blog post recently that, you know, I grew up in the post-World War II era. My, my dad was in World War II. And, you know, the, we you taught in school about the Holocaust. And, you know, you always – it never was just taught in, in, in separate um, from anything else. You always heard – you talked about it and then we would say never again. This is, you know, we have a new world order. We have the UN. We have all these institutions. And just the will, we're not going to allow this to happen again. And then, you know, you have um, the year zero and the killing fields in Cambodia. Um, but, you know, this, you know, what could we do? We had just pulled out of Vietnam. So, okay, so we put that aside. But then we have Bosnia. And, you know, you have what happened at Srebrenica. And uh, Srebrenica, I mean, and then you have Rwanda, where we, we kind of tried to parse words about whether or not gen- genocide was occurring. And, um, you know, never again doesn't seem quite so much never again. And then here you now you see the Obama administration being reluctant to even acknowledge that this is the 100th anniversary of a genocide. And, um, you know, I think what allows genocide to happen isn't just prejudice or bigotry towards uh, an ethnic group or a religion. You know, what allows it to, you know, happen and continue to, and to repeat itself is really a lack of courage um, to stand up to it. And um, unfortunately, we haven't done that this time on the 100th anniversary. Um, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with my friend Paul Gregorian, who's one of the you know, more distinguished Armenian-American politicians here in California, in condemning the administration on that. And um, But you know, it's an important day to commemorate. Um, next week, we will be talking um, about an important issue. Actually, we had to reschedule... Um, because uh, um, the trial schedule, um, but we're going to be t- talking about domain theft, and that is a, a growing issue. Um, David Weslow, um, he's a Washington lawyer, he's going to be talking to us about that. And um, because certain um, domains are, especially three-letter and four-letter domains, which can be easily used as acronyms for practically any business, um, there's been a growing wave of them being more or less using phishing or hacking campaigns to get into those accounts and um, transfer them 
unwittingly of you know of the out the owner's knowledge to a different registrar in China and then selling them. Um, and so you know, I know David is actually has brought a couple of cases to reclaim the domains by using a procedure, not by suing the actual party, but by suing the domain itself. Uh, it's a concept in law known as in rem, where you sue the property, not the person. And um, he's had a couple of cases on that. And he's going to talk about this development. And it should be an interesting discussion because it is a problem. And um, so we'll be, we'll be dealing with that next week. And uh, it, it really is something that um, we need to address. And, um, but we'll talk about how effective that uh, remedy that is. And so um, in terms of other news, I, I do encourage you again to check out the Cyber Report. Um, we cover a broad range of all the latest news, and uh, you know, we actually the, the newsletter has won an LA Press Club Award a couple of years ago for being uh, the best um, corporate newsletter out there. So, um, do encourage you to check it out again on our blog, and um, check out our website ILC. Excuse me, check out our website InternetLawCenter.net. And um, you know, Internet Law Center, we do like Mark. We do a lot of internet law. And uh, in a variety of areas, um, we have especially in online advertising, and also we do a lot of work with victims of cyber harassment. So please check us out. Um, so I want to thank Mark again. Mark is a, a good friend and a, a standout guy and a great lawyer. And um, so it's been a pleasure to talk to him. Um, and so I hope you will join us again. I'll be talking with David Westlow about domain theft next week. This is Ben and Kelly um, saying happy Earth Day. Thank you for joining us. Quarters adjourned. We will see you next week on Cyber Law and Business Report right here on webmasterradio.fm. Be sure to listen to our on the blog channels as well. And give us your feedback. You can send us a Twitter at Cyber Law Radio. Love to hear what you think. All the best to you. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.